Today on Onward to Victory, we investigate the paranormal on Notre Dame's campus. Ghostly sightings, mysterious noises, and frightening legends that have been omnipresent across the college's history. One of which involves perhaps the most famous college football player of all time. Buckle up your chin straps, Irish fans, for this spooktacular episode of Onward to Victory. fans and we are rolling welcome to onward to victory a notre dame football podcast i am your host alex painter i know you guys saw what i do at that intro there i hope you enjoyed it but welcome to episode 33 of your favorite fighting irish podcast thank you so much for electing to join me here today for this spooky halloween themed edition of the show today Now, before we jump into this episode's offerings, don't forget to subscribe to the show through whatever platform you prefer to listen. That will, of course, ensure that you are getting alerted to all of the new episodes, such as the last one. It was called Pigskin Magician, which detailed the playing career of Notre Dame's first sensational football player. Yes, even a decade or so before Rockney arrived on campus, about the fondly remembered Red-headed fullback, Lewis Red Salmon. Lest we forget that, you know, he also played linebacker, punter, and kicker for Notre Dame as well. So, sincerely, it was absolutely one of my favorite episodes to date. So, I really, really hope that you find some time to give it a listen. It was like I said, it was a joy to put together, but I really think it was a revelation. Uh, this was a guy that not a lot of Irish fans probably have heard of, but that makes him all the more alluring, I believe. And did I mention sensational? Sincerely, it was great. So uh, I am really trying to make Salmon famous. Needless to say, he deserves it. And in 1903, he was a third-team All-American. And so he was the very first Notre Dame player to be named to Walter Camp's prestigious list. So special thank you to the Onward to Victory Consensus All-American squad. So those who support the show from a financial standpoint. And keep it not just on the air, but advertisement-free and ever-expanding. If you want to find out how to donate and get some complimentary show merchandise, hang tight to the show wrap-up. I'll tell you how. But our Consensus All-Americans, as I like to say, the real MVPs in this joint include Michael Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey, who is perhaps the most ardent and long-standing supporter of the show. Brad Glazer of Williamsburg, Indiana. I call him one of the, the biggest, if not the biggest, fighting Irish fans I know. We are virtual neighbors here in East Central Indiana. And a trio of siblings in Adam Weston and Colton Painter. Adam and Weston hail from Fort Wayne, Indiana, the home of Emil Red Sitko, among many, many other Notre Dame greats, and Colton calls Cleveland, Ohio home. 
the home of Liam Eikenberg, who's currently the left tackle for the Irish. Yeah, Eichenberg, he's a tough guy against Florida State. I don't want to date this episode too much, but against Florida State, it looked like he dang near got his eye gouged out. And not only did he come back in the game, he came back just in the second half and put a face shield on. I don't think he could open his eye. I think they were taking that entire time just to try to put a contact lens in so he could see, but his eye was swollen shut. So that proved to be immensely difficult. But anyways, Liam Eichenberg calls Cleveland, Ohio home. But anyway, so when I was younger, I used to love watching The Simpsons. I mean, who didn't, right? Talk about iconic. And as I mentioned, I surely can't be alone in the sentiment of loving The Simpsons. But one of my favorite yearly episodes was always the Halloween-themed episode, which they called The Treehouse of Horror. So rather than one longer story as they would in a customary episode, uh, the creators would typically sandwich in three separate self-contained segments. The episodes, aside from just kind of getting you into the Halloween spirit, were always laden with pop culture references, including like old episodes of like the Twilight Zone or movies, comics, Edgar Allan Poe novels, you name it. And they were so much fun. Uh, If you've seen them, you can totally, you're totally picking up what I'm putting down here. But uh, just a fun fact, they are still being produced today. But Anyway, I was watching one recently, and that's when I kind of got the idea for this very episode. I was aware that Notre Dame had ghost stories, but I dutifully did what I do for all episodes. I jumped into the archives to find more. So without further ado, I give you Ghost Stories for Golden Domers, Tales of a Haunted Notre Dame, right after this. All right, let's dig in. I know that we probably have to have some horror movie buffs among us. I don't happen to be one, but I know there has to be statistically some of you out there who really, really enjoy this stuff. So I hope you enjoy this, but also there's going to be some really cool Notre Dame tidbits as far as history is concerned. So this has a little bit for everyone. But as you walk around Notre Dame's campus, perhaps the spookiest looking building on campus, particularly at night, is none other than Washington Hall. Washington Hall, which opened in 1881 as the Performing Arts Building, rests adjacent, just east in fact, of the university's main administrative building, also known as the Golden Dome, and is a stone's throw from the Basilica of the Sacred Heart. Perhaps it's the modern Gothic architecture of the building, but the structure, despite being a beautiful one, has that haunted, almost eerie look to it. Again, uh, particularly when the sun goes down. There have allegedly been spirits roaming Washington Hall since shortly after the building opened. According to legend, in 1886, a steeplejack worker was called upon to do some routine maintenance work on one of the building's fly lofts high above the performing arts stage. So just to acclimate ourselves a bit here, a fly loft are somewhat akin to a rope and pulley catwalk, which allow the stage crew to hoist lights, scenery, stage effects, and sometimes even people 
to and from the stage and out of the direct view of the audience. So unfortunately, the steeplejack worker lost his balance, allegedly took a bad step and he fell over the rope line and unfortunately plummeted to his death. Shortly thereafter, both students and professors began hearing voices, inexplicable loud thuds on stage, and even slow, somber music coming from the stage area, though there was no band present and no orchestra in the pit. Students and faculty have convinced themselves over the decades that the mysterious and unexplainable sounds still play as an eternal funeral procession for the fallen steeplejack worker. The hauntings at Washington Hall continued into the 20th century. In 1917, though the year has been widely reported as 1919, one of Notre Dame's brilliant musicians named John Edward Menavio died in his Washington Hall room. Manavio, a law student who was the leader of the university band, actually died of an ear infection that, according to a February 17, 1917 issue of the school newspaper, had turned into a mastoid. Manavio was only 24 years old. The following week in the February 24th issue of the school newspaper, one of the members of the band penned the following tribute to him, quote, Muted forever, the cornet, from which he sounded the sweetest of harmonies. He has gone to join that great band whose eternal concerts are the praises of God. Sorrow fills the hearts of us who knew him closely. The sorrow of those who have lost a friend. The sorrow of those who have lost a leader. End quote. Muted forever? Well, perhaps not. The man who took over the university band shortly after Manavio was Joseph Casasanta, who listeners may remember from actually a couple episodes ago. It was Casasanta who arranged the modern version of the Notre Dame Victory March, the one that we listen to today still. Anyway, according to School Legend, in an article from a January 1962 issue of the school newspaper, Casasanta ultimately made his office and resting quarters in the very same second-floor Washington Hall room that Manavio had become very ill and died in. In 1942, when Casasanta had been the band director for nearly two decades... He went to sleep one night, but was very abruptly awoken in the middle of the night by the, quote, toot of a trumpet. Who would be blowing a trumpet at 3 a.m.? Then there was a sound of pattering feet next to Joe's bed, and that familiar feeling some people have when waking up late at night, that somebody is standing next to them. He froze like a man paralyzed and wasn't able to move for half an hour. When he was finally able to relax, he turned and peered anxiously around the room. No one was there, and the door was locked. End quote. Casasanta was not alone in this experience. In fact, his terrifying middle-of-the-night 
visit was shared by no fewer than three others over the course of the next week. Some claimed even their room's doorknobs began turning and papers rustling outside the door, in addition to the pattering of feet and the faint sound of trumpets. So if you hear the faint noises of a horn in the nighttime hours around the vicinity of Washington Hall, it could very well be the overtures of a certain John Edward Manavio, whose sudden death left the university band without a leader, and Manavio without a companion to make music. And as the student newspaper warns, don't forget to lock your doors and your windows. So just a few years after Manavio's death, yet another piece of campus lore became firmly attached to Washington Hall. This one involving one of the most famous college football players of his day, and even still one of the most famous college football players in college football history. Yes, I am talking about George Gipp, the Gipper himself. Not only is his astonishing, memorable 1920 season celebrating a centennial this year, but also his untimely death and the origins of one of Notre Dame's most famous ghost stories. Now, here's what you need to know about Gip. He was a lot of things, including enigmatic yet charismatic, kind yet defiant, shy yet larger than life. Did I mention athletic? How about despite having a great deal of deep respect for each other, a total thorn in his coach Knut Rockney's side? But anyways, the legend of Gipp's ghost begins with what is in all reality a bit of an apocryphal story, a mythical tale if you will, but it's been told so many times over the years. So, Aside from his gridiron heroics, Gip was notorious for staying out late, which really meant that Gip never actually went to bed, it would seem. He loved playing pool and cards, and he was both a pool and a card shark, often hustling dozens of dollars off the locals. But in all likelihood, he enjoyed playing both of these things more than he did playing football. Now, that's my opinion, but I think it's one that is probably shared by many who are very, very familiar with Gip. And he was particularly incredibly skilled at pool. He spent hours, days, weeks, and even months in the smoke-filled rooms of downtown South Bend staple, Hully and Mike's, which doubled as both a pool hall and a watering hole and has been discussed on this show a multitude of times. So he actually skirted the rules of campus, often taking up residence in the incredibly plush Oliver Hotel, which happened to be the nicest hotel that South Bend had to offer at the time. So let me ask you, if given the option, would you stay in the Oliver Hotel or a stodgy dorm room? It really made Gipp's decision, well, pretty easy. But regardless, according to the legend, Gipp did not live in Washington Hall but he would supposedly sneak into the building when he missed curfew at his dormitory after a late night or early morning at the bars. Seemingly, probably most nights. But 
allegedly in November of 1920, just after the football season had ended, according to a 1998 issue of the school newspaper, quote, Gip had been out carousing and failed to come back before his dorm, St. Edward's Hall, was locked. The Gip, not wanting to be caught breaking his dorm's curfew, slept on the back steps of Washington Hall that night, where he contracted a virus, end quote. Gip died of a throat infection and pneumonia on December 14, 1920, just two weeks after being the first Notre Dame player selected to the first team of Walter Camp's All-American team. So in 1921, just one year after Gipp's death, what many were convinced was his ghost began making appearances in Washington Hall. Now, Washington Hall at the time housed nine student professors. Clarence Mannion, one such student professor, was getting ready for bed when he heard the sound of eerie moaning in addition to, again, blasts from a trumpet. According to that 1998 article in the school newspaper, quote, For the next four months, Mannion and other residents heard the blast almost nightly, and their futile efforts to find the crafty prankster or the architectural nuance in Washington Hall, both were initially suspected to have caused the sounds, only served to irritate the ghost. Strange events began to precede the noises. Doors slammed. People felt cold hands on their backs as they went upstairs. And unidentified voices would shriek at the earliest of hours. The story spread around campus and created quite an uproar, causing dozens of curious students to stay in Washington Hall overnight in hopes of seeing the ghosts or locating the prankster. Visitors witnessed the same strange events, but no one could find an explanation. End quote. Could it have been the ghost of Gip lingering around the corridors of Washington Hall? When the priest, whom Gip was allegedly trying to avoid by sleeping outside, heard of the alleged paranormal activities, he actually performed an exorcism on the entire building. Within a few years, a Brazilian student named Pio Montenegro, from his room window, which is, which is now in La Fortune Hall, he said he saw a, quote, stalwart figure mounted upon a beautiful white charger galloping up the steps of the hall and through the front entrance, end quote. The figure, Montenegro insisted, was Gip's ghost. In the 1980s, in an effort to get in touch with the ghost of Washington Hall, whomever it may be, some students were brave enough, well, let's just say more brave than I, to take an Ouija board into Washington, and they plopped it on the center stage, near where the steeplejack had allegedly fallen to his death. In that same 1998 article about ghosts on campus, the students shared their experience, quote, They brought candles, which eerily cast their light on the board as it spelled out, SG, 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 get out, get out. 
the students flipped and began running for the exits. And as they exited, they saw a security guard, SG, running toward the building. The students now credit the ghost for saving them, end quote. In the 1990s, one of the late-night custodians at Washington was certain he had witnessed the ghost of Washington Hall. Again, could have been the steeplejack, could have been Manavio, could have been George Gipp himself. But the custodian witnessed a shadow on the wall, lights flickering, and the elevator moving up and down on its own. Now, there is at least one skeptic of all the ghost stories at Notre Dame, which, by the way, was recently named the 19th most haunted college campus in America, and that is theater professor Mark Pilkington. Though skeptical, he said he wouldn't be caught dead in Washington Hall after hours, saying, quote, I don't think I'd want to be doing much in there all by myself. Those old buildings can be really spooky, he said. It has all the things that a spooky place needs, end quote. That spookiness is actually played up by the current students, and particularly around this time of the year, horror movies are often played in Washington Hall, including very recently The Ring. But Matthew Swain, who actually wrote a book about ghosts on college campuses, succinctly sums up Notre Dame's bevy of paranormal activity. Quote, One thing I found is that universities with an extremely rich history and a well-developed sense of culture have a rich supernatural legacy, he said. I also wonder whether the heightened sense of spirituality at Notre Dame doesn't play a role in the university's ghost lore. While some students might find haunted tales at their college disconcerting, Swain said such supernatural legends set schools apart from the rest. He says, quote, Overall, it adds to what I call the aura of the school, he said. Only great schools have ghosts. And I will be right back with show wrap-up. Well, how about that? I've never done a holiday special before, but a ghost-infused, spooktacular episode on a Notre Dame football podcast. We did it, everybody. But then again, things have always been a bit different around here. But given the fact that Halloween is just around the corner, and since this lore features a heavy dose of George Gipp, well, you just knew there was something there. Now, as far as this current edition of The Irish, and you know I don't like to typically date these episodes too much unless it is like very specifically a season preview or a season recap episode, but something historical kind of happened. And in the meantime, The Irish tried their very best to ruin my Saturday, but they did squeak out a 12-7 victory over the University of Louisville here recently, which, again, I bring it up. In historical context, the fewest points they have scored in a home win since 
over 40 years ago in 1978. It's good to escape with a win. It always is, nonetheless. But let me tell you, it definitely felt like the blue and gold escaped with that one. So what's coming down the pike? Well, head over to the Facebook page and go blow for blow with George Gipp, 100 years after his legendary season and untimely death, and as we just discovered, not too terribly long before his ghost allegedly started being seen on the campus of Notre Dame. But I am adding slides on the appropriate days in a series that I am, I guess, not so inventively calling In the Footsteps of the Gipper to celebrate his remarkable last few months of life. I'm also releasing more and more video in an endeavor called Onward to Victory TV. Check it out. It's also on the Facebook page. But again, if you are looking for a heavy dose of current Irish insight, analysis, statistics, game recaps, or game previews, just jump on over to the Facebook page. It's at facebook.com slash onward to victory. I've put all the videos into kind of curated playlists. So feel free to watch any and all of them if you'd like. Now, just as a gentle reminder, if you dig the show, you can find me on Apple Podcasts. So if you have an iPhone, just click that purple icon, that purple icon that says Podcasts. I'm also on Spotify, CastBox, as well as Podbean at onwardtovictory.podbean.com. So again, I implore you, please like, subscribe, give five stars. It all very, very much aids the show and helps us grow. But if you'd like to name yourself to the Onward to Victory Consensus All-American list, join loyal sons Brad, Michael, Adam, Weston, and Colton and become a loyal son or daughter, so to speak, you can do so very simply. A $15 donation to the show will sponsor a couple episodes and get your name called out as a Consensus All-American over the air. You will also receive the latest show swag. So currently giving out some canned koozies and some of the world famous Father William Corby coasters. So yes, you know, it's not so subtle. We're trying to take care of those beverages this football season. But if you find it in your heart to donate, you can donate at paypal.me slash onward to victory. If you just want to donate one time or if you want to donate a set certain amount per month, please visit patreon.com slash onward to victory podcast. I hope you all know that any support of the show is greatly, graciously appreciated and 100% goes back into the show. So for instance, over on the Facebook page now, there's a contest that's going on. That is really, really fun and really exciting, I think, for everybody. But the prizes were sponsored wholly by the Onward to Victory Consensus All-Americans. But please interact with the show on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Onward to Victory, as I mentioned earlier. So please feel free, anyone, to make your voice heard on that platform. So as always, you can feel free to send the show a good old-fashioned email as well at onwardtovictorypodcast at gmail.com. I will read any email I receive over the air. And as always, thank you to Joseph Rakish, who allows the song to use his song, Knut Rockney, as our theme song. You can find the jam on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube. Man, give it a spin. Joseph was one of the first people I reached out to when I decided to start this podcast in June of 2019. And he was very gracious about allowing the show to use his song. And 
I'll always be eternally grateful for that. So go go give it a listen. And if you have like a pregame playlist, anything that you listen to before an Irish game to kind of get yourself in your mind centered, that's a great one to listen to, I will say. So uh, thank you for joining me. This has been an amazingly cool episode and a unique one in the show's history. Uh, and it's a show that really kind of hinges on being a bit unique. But we've never done a holiday special, which is kind of what this feels like. But I guess, you know, at the end of the day, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I have the Simpsons to thank. This is kind of based uh, on the idea of their treehouse of horror. But I really hope you've enjoyed this. And if you did, if you did enjoy this and you learned things or just kind of learned a new perspective about some of our heroes and, and some of our campus lore that we love, don't hesitate to let me know. Uh, I always appreciate hearing any feedback from anyone who listens. Coming down the pike, I'm, there's a few episode ideas that are kind of bouncing around my head. The last episode on Lewis Salmon has been a pretty big success when I wasn't sure what to expect out of it as far as how many people would stop in and listen to it. It's proven to be pretty successful. And so if if you all like your pre-Rockney football heroes, man, I will be happy to do another one. I got a couple more in the hopper. But regardless, got a couple ideas for new show episodes. So make sure you're checking back always. I try to share as much as I can on the Facebook page, but Uh, As always, you're going to get a new episode here within the next two to three weeks. So be sure to check back. Well, I reckon it's time for me to sign off. This has been Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. And in kindness, I'm your host, Alex Painter. And as always, go Irish.